in the night Your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday This Friday is extra freaky It's the last Friday of the month Tomorrow is April Fool's Uh-oh. So everybody... Look alive. Freaky Friday Eve, or April Fool's Eve. <laughs> it is April Fool's Freaky Eve. Freaky Friday fell on April Fool's Eve. That sounds like mischief is afoot. <laughs> mischief is abound. If you are thinking about pranking someone, don't do that. It's awful. They never turn out well. They always end up in the news where it's like, I, wasn't it Google said everybody's uh, response to minion gifts one year and a funeral home complained? It was like... <laughs> I have been sending out condolence emails with minion gifts. You've ruined my business. (laughs) Telling people, you know, you're pregnant, fake firing. Let's not be Michael Scott on this. (laughs) Yeah. I am going camping this weekend because it's Ella's school camping trip. So And we've received an email that says there's going to be some pranks for the kids. Oh, that's fun. Come Saturday and that we are all to act pranked to make it even hit harder so i don't know what the pranks are all i know is oh. i'm committing a hundred percent i like that if you know people are in on it and i'm assuming it's going to be fun and not like the chupacabra's coming and the kids <laughs> like, like have to run yeah yeah, yeah. kids <laughs> there's a murderer in the woods everyone don't leave your tents <laughs> someone's escaped from prison yeah. and they have uh, a machete and they're yeah, coming they're, for a van full like- of prisoners has broken down right outside the campsite but it's okay let's all just sit around the campfire roast some weenies Roast your weenies. Well, get those weenies roasted. I hope you have a very lovely time. It's going to be so fun. Thank you. I hear there's going to be a mega telescope. I believe so. Some sort of cool telescope experience. When we went last year, I, with you, was at Elton John the night of the telescopes. And I drove down to meet Tommy and Ella the next day this year. I'm gonna get to see the telescopes. You're gonna, you know, no need for Rocket Man because you're gonna be looking at the moon yeah. closer than you've ever seen it. All that beautiful, beautiful moon. Ooh, yeah. and I'll probably get some information that I can then discuss. Maybe I can somehow film with my phone what I'm seeing through the high-powered telescope, and then maybe we show that during our intimate Q and A at our upcoming tour shows. Full moon energy tour. I think you you probably can. I see people on TikTok and Facebook doing that, taking photos through, I don't know if it's some apparatus, but I bet the telescope person can help, the astronomer, the physicist, whoever's helping <laughs> you all out. Call yeah, we'll the telescope share person. Um, excuse me, telescoper, I have a question. Yes, they're like, ma'am, we have 50 kids that would like to see this, so if you could get you and your phone away from it for a minute... <laughs> Like, ah, uh, this is for work. I'm sure everyone understands. <laughs> like, excuse me, sir, can you explain what full moon energy is? <laughs> and he says no, and you're like, I can. Hit the lights. <laughs> and then I pop out, and we do a show. And they're in like, the there wilderness. aren't any lights. It's pitch black, you morons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go home. I'm sorry for being here. But we, you, you won't have full moon energy at the campsite, but you listeners can have full moon energy in any number of cities coming up Denver, Salt Lake, Austin, San Francisco, all the new cities we announced going on sale 
probably next week. Mm -hmm. Keep your eyes peeled on Patreon and keep your ears open to the show. But all the info and all the new dates, Detroit, Boston, Pittsburgh, all the new places, D.C., Brooklyn, that we're coming are on SinisterHood.com slash live shows. So get you, Christy, spend this week and get in that full moon energy. I am. I'm going to just soak it all in. Moon bathing like um, the Munsters used to do. Remember that? Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. Herman and Lily would just sit out with their foil things under their necks and just uh, moon bathe. They did it as a comedy. Like the producers and writers of the show did it as a comedy bit. But I wonder if you probably would get like charged if you like lied under the full moon. I think so. Grounded, so. yeah. Get grounded and get charged. Well, happy almost April Fools, and we have some Freaky Friday stories for you all today. Yes. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. We're going to start it off with one that is obviously topical right now, given the tragedy in Nashville. And we know we we do a lot of school shooting Freaky Fridays. And, you know, if some may say, gosh, they're sure are, they sure do cover a lot of those. Yeah, it sucks. It fucking sucks that we have so many people email in with their experiences about school shootings and mass shootings that we could do probably five Freaky Fridays that was only discussed that. And yeah. it's it's awful. It's a pandemic in its own right in America. And with the the recent tragedy in Nashville, I thought that this first one would be a good way to kind of segue into that and some things that you and I, Heather, were recently discussing that I think this touches on nicely. Okay. This is from Isabella, and it is called My Experience is Part of the Lockdown Generation. Hey, ladies, I love you both, and I'm so grateful that y'all provide an outlet for your listeners to recount their experiences in a safe place. With all that has been going on as of late and the discussion of sliding door moments in our lives, it reminds me of an instance when I was grateful the doors were shut. For context, I was in the third grade when Sandy Hook occurred, and I am turning 20 years old this April. My entire school career has been filled with active shooter and lockdown drills, as well as one instance in my junior year of high school that I will never forget. My high school had a fairly large student population with about 3,000 students and four floors. I was in my Spanish three class, which faced the front of the building and had windows spanning into our school's front courtyard. We had just finished going over conjugations and were beginning to read our first full novel in Spanish of the year. We were all settling after switching tasks when the intercom came on. I heard the familiar voice of our front office lady. However, her voice was an unfamiliar tone. Her voice was shaky. She stuttered out that we were on a soft lockdown. Now, this was not what we had been taught would occur in our several lockdown drills throughout my time in high school, and everyone seemed to be confused and unsettled. My teacher frantically went to lock her door and close the blinds to the row of windows that lined our exterior classroom wall. However, many of them were unable to shut entirely. She told us to remain at our desks and began to pass out Jolly Ranchers to all of us, with worry washed all over her face. Mine was watermelon. She said they were to calm our nerves, but I think she did it as a gesture to help herself calm down more than anything. As I mentioned before, the blinds couldn't shut entirely, and my classmates and I watched as about a dozen police cars and an ambulance entered our front courtyard with lights and sirens blaring. The whole situation only spanned less than an hour, and we returned to a normal school day afterward. 
It wasn't until I got home that my mom informed me that the school had sent out an email that described the incident in full. Turns out that one of my fellow students was going through a mental health crisis and attacked our school resource officer and tried to take his gun. In the scuffle, the student broke our officer's leg, but never disarmed him, which is when the front office lady went onto the intercom to announce the lockdown. This memory is all too familiar to me, and I think about it often. I think about what could have happened if he was successful in disarming our officer, and wonder how my life could be different. My classroom was just around the corner from the front office, and I often think about how quickly things could have escalated if things did further go awry. Every day I am grateful my cards spanned out how they did, and I can't help but wonder what could have happened if my teacher had handed me a grape Jolly Rancher that day, or if we had a substitute and I had to deliver the attendance sheet, or a trillion other scenarios. But I am so grateful we were all lucky enough that day. Thanks for reading. Well, Isabella, we are also extremely grateful that that ended probably the best way it could have, sans the security guard's leg getting broken with fuck to break somebody's leg is difficult so right my god (laughs) yeah i mean thank god he if he was strong enough the student was strong enough to break the officer's leg that they were also not strong enough to disarm him or if the officer just knew kind of tactically how to move to keep from being disarmed but i think isabella like what christy said i'm very glad that this did not go worse but your phrasing of the lockdown generation, mm-hmm. I think, is so telling that the prevalence of this and that they, the New England Journal of Medicine, they have announced that children are more likely to be killed by a gun than in a car accident. It's in the, the number United one. Ki- guns are the number one killer of children in the United States, which is a jaw dropping statistic that of all the things that could kill a kid, that a gun is the number one thing. Not a car, not drowning, not nope, some sort of disease, not, you know, just whatever. It's literally a gun that, for the most part, adults operate. But now kids have gotten their hands on them. How do they get them? Because they are not locked up properly in the house, most likely. Or, in this most recent case with Nashville, the shooter was allowed to buy multiple firearms, even though they were currently being treated for a mental health disorder. Yeah. The fact that I told you when I went to the gun show in my hometown and what I thought was a kid and was wearing a t-shirt of a local high school was like, yeah, I'll sell you. I said, what's the biggest gun I can buy today? And he was like, oh, that one. And I said, and it was huge. It was the size of a person lying down. And I said, oh, do I, what do I need to do for it? He was like, do you have like 1500 bucks? And I was like, oh, so you're going to just let me walk out with that. I go, what's like something that could tear up a moose? And he was like, oh, that one. So and I could was like, you okay. have walked out that day mm-hmm. with that gun? There was no waiting period? It's the gun show loophole, baby. So America. you don't have to have a waiting period if you purchase it from a gun show? It varies by state now. Texas is extremely loose. Texas is like, you don't have to have anything to have a gun anymore. I mean, they've dropped every regulation here. And to that the is, point where at yeah. the gym next to Ella's gymnastics, which is for children only, there's a sign that's like, you can't bring a concealed weapon in here. Like, we don't allow, like, businesses all over, because people do. You have to yeah. specifically state that, hey, you can't bring that in here. 
Yeah, and I've heard from law enforcement saying with really, really loose gun restrictions like that, cartel members, you know, people that shouldn't have them because they're, you know, prior felons or they, they're on some type of list can get them. So I think that it's been real loose on who's gotten a hold of it. And this, I mean, the statistics say that in no other comparable country do gun-related deaths even crack the top four. Mm-hmm. And we surpassed it. So what I'm hearing, and then, you know, I always say I'm not here to preach to anybody because I don't think hollering at anybody has ever changed a mind. But if you have not, I would highly recommend, and if you need a link, it's on my Facebook but it, to the Washington Post, and they went through a 3D rendering of what the difference between an AR-15 and a 9mm does to a body. And they used a victim of Sandy Hook, and they used a victim of the Parkland shooting with the family's permission, and showed shot for shot what happened to each kid and what that type of a bullet does. It, it takes about 10 minutes to get through, and it's an extremely immersive, and it's factual, it's scientific. And the parents of one of the kids said, I wanted the people to see the truth. So my thing is, the people that we're listening to, I'm not listening to politicians, I'm not listening to gun owners, I'm not listening to people who hate guns. I'm here to listen to the growing number, which it's a huge number now. 380,000 kids have now survived school shootings in the U.S. We're in hundreds of thousands of territory that's who i'm listening to and the families of the kids that didn't make it that's who i'm listening to fred gutenberg whose new book is coming out in may i've pre-ordered it i we have a duty to bear witness to the suffering that these kids have had by virtue of surviving and to their family by virtue of not surviving and then after you have sat in reverent silence with not only this Washington Post where it and it and if you're like I don't like the Washington Post it's biased whatever this isn't because all this article is is it physically shows in in graphic detail of course it's all you know 3D rendered or whatever but it shows you the impact that these weapons have and my thing is when I watched the body cam footage of the the officers who were heroes that without hesitation, I mean, it made me proud. I'm like, that is the scariest fucking job that you've got to run in and you know, uh, literally a, like a lunatic, somebody who is willing to bring a gun into an elementary school, a preschool that you're willing to run forward. I thought, oh my God, those poor officers, somebody's got an AR-15 in his face in them. So I think it will help protect our kids. It'll help protect law enforcement. But until I think you've sat with that and emotionally taken that in. And again, you don't get to listen to people who want to keep their guns. You don't get to listen to politicians. You don't shut all those people up. They don't fucking matter who matters to me or who suffers the most. And it's our kids and it's the families of our kids that can't tell us. And guess what? If you don't want to make a difference, fine, sit on your ass. Because when the 380,000 kids that this is fucked up, because we've all been touched by something, but this is massive. They're all going to run for Congress, and their laws are going to be probably a lot stricter than whatever we pass right now. As they should be. I hope that they, not even Gen Z, but, well, I guess it is all Gen Z, mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, Columbine, I think that they're millennials, maybe. Yeah, uh, my, yeah maybe a little bit older than me. Yeah. Um, they're all old enough now to start yeah. um, running for office and passing bills, and that's what's going to fucking do it, because... All of these old white men that are in charge of yeah. shit that you d- they didn't have to worry about being gunned down in their classroom when they went to school. And also mm-hmm. they care way more about money and getting reelected than they do our, our kids and our schools and future generations. They're all going to die. And now all of these kids that have been touched forever 
are going to start having a voice as they should. And maybe shit's going to finally start changing because I love you, dude. I don't know how you send your kids to school. Like, I don't know how anybody sends their kids to school. It's awful. I don't know. I don't know either. And I, uh, I I mean, I honestly am like, should we homeschool? Because it's such a prevalent problem that we all kind of just say, well, fuck, we hope it doesn't happen here. But the reality is it can happen anywhere. I mean, the Nashville... It's a private Christian school. Everyone's like, well, you know, these are all public schools. So whatever. Nothing is safe because Mm -hmm. guess what? Mental health. It doesn't give a shit who you are. It doesn't care how rich you are, how poor you are, where you send your kids to school. Sure. You may have more resources given your socioeconomic status, but that doesn't always matter. And Mm -hmm. the only what does matter is our children being able to go to school and not being worried that they're going to get blown away. Yeah. That's an insane fucking thing for a child to have to worry about. It's insane for parents to have to worry about it. I know people that have literally moved to other countries because they don't want to send their kids to American schools. And I get it. It's, it's terrifying. And I didn't deal with it when I was in high school. I was in college when when Columbine happened, and I remember watching the footage at my friend's apartment and just being horrified that something like this could happen. And at that time, you're like, well, surely they're going to change some laws. Oh, no. That was how many fucking years ago now? 1999. That's insane that we yeah. are still in the same place. And in fact, it's significantly worse because oh, yeah. I think there's been how many school shootings so far this this year? Over 20 in the U.S.? Uh, there have been 130 mass shootings so far in 2023. Oh, god damn. It's, well, I was way off and that sucks. It's the 16th school shooting in grades K through 12. And it's the deadliest since the shooting that happened in Uvalde. Yeah. Uh, it's... I don't have any words, mm-hmm. uh, but I think, Isabella, your generation, this lockdown generation, is going to be the one that finally people start, listen- not, it, start listening to, but also, y'all are now in power. It's not mm-hmm. just like, hey, listen to me. It's like, guess what? You don't have a choice. We're all banding together, and we're going to ban ARs because no, I don't, if you, if this is a hot take, I may it be the hottest of takes you ever hear. We do not need to have as civilians assault rifles. We just don't. Yeah. We don't fucking need them. I don't yeah. give a shit where your argument is. You do not need them. If you need to protect your house with an assault rifle, then you have bigger problems because it's just not. I'll be honestly, you might need a like a ninety foot fence. Yeah, th- if you need something that can annihilate sixty people in eleven minutes, which is what happened at the Las Vegas shooting. That's you don't need it if you if you're so fucking up your own ass about your right to bear arms that you gotta have a gun. Then 
what for protection okay that's fine i don't have a problem with gun ownership if you keep them locked away and not just locked away where you think they're locked away because i was reading the other day how studies now show that parents that think their kids can't get into it when their kids are interviewed they're like i could access the gun within five minutes you're not as sneaky as you think you are so yeah kids these days are too smart no and also like if it's a code and to a safe, you think a kid can't figure that out that, that's trying to get a gun? Like, we have to do better. We owe it to our kids to do better. If you don't have kids, I don't think you need them to, to everybody knows. And it's not an unpopular opinion that kids should be safe when they go to school. And it shouldn't be something mm-hmm. that we have to worry about daily. Yeah. No, I agree. And and what you're saying about the AR-15, I think, is the purpose of that demonstration is to show that it's not all guns are created equal, that they're handguns, shotguns, things that are I grew up with in the house. I'm from Texas, right? I got my daddy's two revolvers. Like, I'm not here to be like, take every gun away. Honestly, I do feel safe, you know, having them safely stashed away, not anywhere anybody's going to get a hold of them, but where I know where it's at. But on the flip side, when you watch, and it's because the, sh- the shape of the, it's the cartridge, right? It shows how much propellant is in this cartridge and how much power. I mean, it. I had no idea. I knew that it was worse, but I didn't understand that when you look at it scientifically, it is meant to destroy as many mm-hmm. people as quickly as possible. And it's extremely effective. And I think when you sit with that and when you, you see the body of this 15-year-old ROTC boy who just wanted to help his classmates. Mm-hmm. And he held the door open, and that's what got him. They got out, and he didn't. And you see, bullet by bullet, how fast he was hit and how devastating the damage was. And you watch the 3D model. And, of course, it's not gruesome, because like, but... But it is. But because it is. it's real. Yeah. It's real. And so that's why, you know, I think it's a visceral reaction and stuff. And when people have a, a, the opposite visceral reaction of like, you pry my guns from my cold dead hand. Oh, okay. Let's meet in the middle. Um, let Just take a minute and give the, the families the respect they deserve and the reverence they deserve. That if you want to cling tightly to your guns, that's fine. But only do so after you have sat and watched what the family wants you to watch, including the body cam footage of those Nashville officers, because you watch them clear classrooms with the tiniest chairs. Yeah. You watch them clear a bathroom and say, well, it's a small bathroom. And of course it's small. It's because it's made for preschoolers. And you watch them aim their rifle across a little display with a rainbow and little pots of gold with little kids' names on it. And it's places where weapons of war shouldn't be. And so... If you're uh, pissed off, disgusted, whatever about this, and we don't see eye to eye on this, my challenge for you is I value humans and humanity over, and I value other humans and humanity because I don't have kids. So I don't worry about sending my kids to school, but I worry about your kids, and I worry about kids I never met, and I worry about every single kid that had to survive. You got nieces. And I got nieces too, God. And as soon as I started, uh, when when they said that kid, the kid in the the demonstration was six. My niece is six. Mm-hmm. Ella's five. Yeah, and they're so little. They learn at this age active shooter drills. Yeah, and if you think that that's disgusting, it is, but it's necessary. And they do it in a way where they tell them, like, because I have friends that are teachers, and I was just talking about this with one of my teacher friends, and she said that. 
for the younger ones, they have to say like, okay, everybody, we're going to be quiet little bunnies and we're going to hop into our bunny den so we can, and we all have to be quiet because that's how you can't tell them, hey, um, an unhinged person is outside with an assault rifle and they're trying to kill all of us. So we yeah. got to be quiet. You have and to do not- it on their level. And it is so fucking sad. And they're told to stand on toilets. So in case somebody comes into the bathroom, they can't see your little feet under the stall. It's it makes you tear. Some kids, it makes them terrified to go to the bathroom. Isabella said, you know, what if I had been the one to take the attendance sheet? Well, shit, I don't want to get locked out in the hallway. A friend of mine teaches third grade and said, I have to lock my kids out. Like if if one kid's in the bathroom and it's locked down and all my kids are inside, I can't open the door to let that kid in. How do you live with yourself? And that's too, like all of these kids that have survived this. The trauma and PTSD that they will have for the rest of their lives that like we've talked with all of these things lately of, you know, terrorist attacks and how the ripple effect they have through a community and through a nation, like extrapolate that out of there are now 380,000 kids that have survived a school shooting. There's a ton that didn't survive. Yeah. And there's untold that have had near misses like Isabella or just had the trauma of repeatedly having to do these active shooter drills. And then you wonder why. Now, while I love Gen Z's humor, you notice that it's a little bit uh, nihilistic. What's the fucking point? You know, there's a lot of this kind of what are you going to do to me? And I don't blame them whatsoever, Mm -hmm. because if you grew up literally facing grim death every day, just by virtue of you have to go to school, your parents make you, the law makes you, everybody makes you go to school. I think that does a little something to somebody. And it not, not only does it make them excellent at resilience and figuring out ways to express themselves creatively, but it's pissed a lot of them off, most of them, in fact. And I think you saw it in the midterm elections with how they voted. And I think we saw it today at the Tennessee Capitol when a shitload of them showed up and pushed right on in and protested in the the rotunda of the Tennessee lobby. So in the lobby of the Tennessee uh, Capitol. And that's a good point too, is our, the way shit's set up, kids have to go to school. They, by law, you either have to be, I mean, I'm sure that you can live off the grid or whatever, but like if you're in a city, your kids going to school, either homeschooled or to some sort of school. So we are now telling them you don't have a choice. You got to go to school. Also, there's a high chance that you might have to, you might get shot while you're at school. Are we going to do anything about it? Not really, but we are going to still force you to go there. So there you Sorry. go. Have fun. Be it somehow go learn every day and absorb this information to, you know, allow you to get into college or get a job or whatever. How can anybody sit in a classroom these days and actually learn when? Yeah all of this shit is going on i wouldn't be able to it's distracting certainly i mean you always you hear the click of the handle on the door and you're like well what the fuck was it you're like you hear an intercom, somebody come over the intercom mm-hmm. and my my same teacher friend was i was asking her like have you ever been in lockdowns and she said that her school that there are different types of lockdowns depending on the situation and there's like code words and stuff All of that just makes me sick that that's now taken over what school is instead of a place to be safe and learn and grow and be with your friends and have life experiences. 
the life experiences now that these kids are having are one no one should have unless you enlist in the army and you want to go fight on the front lines of battle and you need an assault rifle to do so that's where that those weapons should be going no seriously and and you think that if someone because we do need to address mental health and we do need to address the restrictions of who gets access to what but at worst case scenario you have somebody like the natural shooter somebody like the uvalde shooter who does have mental health problems who gets a hold of a nine millimeter it's a lot harder a, to kill as many people as quickly and to do as much destruction as quickly and to reload as quickly. And so if you told me, you got to have these trade We do trade-offs every day. I, I do trade-offs all the time. And if you told me, hey, everybody in America gets their AR-15 taken away, but your kid gets to live, take them away, yeah. burn them, melt them all into one big-ass pile of, uh, of metal and make it into a fucking sculpture, a new Statue of Liberty or something. But if it means one more kid doesn't die, I don't give a fuck. That's what I was... Take them away. I literally was thinking about this yesterday because there's... I got family members that are like, no, I want my guns. And I, you know, I mean, to each their own. I wonder if I were to say to them, okay, but... Your kids that you've got, that you have in school, if it meant that they weren't going to get gunned down, would you give up your right to own a gun? And I hope, I fucking hope they'd say yes. Yeah. If you said, would you trade, think of the kid in your life that you love the most, you get to keep your gun, but that kid will die viciously, violently, and horribly. Is it worth it to you? And if it is, God help you. And if it's not, that's your answer. Mm Mm-hmm that's your answer and then not and that don't let that just be your answer then fucking get mad and go vote and and you know i mean do don't just sit there and go yeah you're right we are gosh i can't watch that kind of footage because it's so upsetting you're goddamn right it's upsetting it should be upsetting you shouldn't watch anybody go into a elementary school and watch the cctv footage of this person armed to the gills walking through these halls opening doors looking for people the passing by our children's ministry with rainbows and and doors to the church that they would go in you know and pray in looking for Mm -hmm. somebody to take out it's fucking horrific and the footage of the 3d rendering it's also gut-wrenching but it's supposed to be this isn't an easy topic it shouldn't be and to shy away from it or turn a turn a blind eye because it's too much for you to handle fuck off imagine those kids sitting in that classroom and how hard it is for them to handle that yeah you're not wrong and i i think about it i would not look at a survivor of a school shooting and i would not look at a parent in the eye who lost a kid in a school shooting and go your pain's a lot for me so i can't yeah sorry that and i think this is a digital version of that if these parents of that kid that saved people's lives at parkland they said we want everybody to know the truth about him then my i say i respect that and i respect your pain and i want to bear witness to your pain and i sobbed the other morning i mean it took my i was like oh i'm gonna read the news and then i'll do my meditation and i said oh nope actually it turns out i'm gonna sob all morning Mm -hmm. and write uh, a missive to the people that follow me on facebook you know my friends of like Anybody that sees this, go watch this and go spend this time and, and give that family that respect. So to anybody that feels on the fence or, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to listen to Sinister Hand anymore because they told me to 
people sound like that because people in our lives sound like that. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're finding yourself, uh, you know, resistance, hesitance, whatever, I hear you. I'm not here to yell at you. I'm here to tell you, just do them. If you want to continue feeling that, that's fine. But you need to go and feel the feelings of those families. Give them the respect. And then you can look them in the eye and go, I'm sorry. Your kid doesn't matter more than my want for a thing. So I'm sorry. But and th- and that's the truth you have to live with. But until you do that, I don't I'm not listening. I'm not respecting anybody's opinion because you haven't lived through it and you haven't been in that painful situation. That's the people I'm here to listen to. For the sure. parents and the kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it is. Well, it wasn't my kid. So, you know, but well, you know what? The numbers. All of these parents at one point said, well, thank God it wasn't my kid. And then one day it was. Yeah. So look at the numbers. Statistically, it could be. Yeah. It's a. And I get very. Heather's more measured. (laughs) I I don't have a kid. I don't have a kid. I have my nieces that I love, but I I know that my love for them is deep and is wide and is unceasing. My love for my nieces are. It will never be the same bond as a child that you was part of your body. That was your, you know, or even your child that you adopted that you have a relationship with that you, you know, that's a different relationship and it causes a different visceral reaction. But I, I, I don't want my teacher friends gunned down. I don't no. want my police officer friends gunned yeah. down. I don't want my school administrator friends or counselor friends gunned down. I don't want anybody. I, you sh- it should be a fun place. It should be yeah. a fun place where you go and learn. And a safe place. And um, yes, of course, mental health needs to be addressed in this country just as much as, as gun ownership. I think one of the things we could do right off the bat, though, that we could just pass a bill that... We're banning ARs, and that's yeah. a first step at least. And then we start to peel back the layers of healthcare and everything that's a bigger ball of wax. It's a lot more intricate. And mm-hmm. I think if we could just all get on the same page about these assault rifles, that's at least a step in the right direction. I agree. Well, thank you, Isabella, for sharing that with us. We're so glad that um, it turned out the way it did. I my heart breaks for you, though, that, you know, you were this was how long ago and it's still something that I'm sure you think about daily and that will probably affect your life forever and your other your classmates, too. Yeah, I say bless you and bless every other kid in the lockdown generation. Yes. And I, for one, am looking forward and excited and will support all of you in in whatever you need to do. Uh, for all of us to make this a better place for our kids. Say that. I welcome our Gen Z overlords. I love Gen Z. They're my favorite generation, and I can't wait to see what they do next. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, moving on from um, that 30-minute discussion, (laughs) which, uh, you know, I think it's important, though. So I agree. This next story, also important, also one we have never had that, Mm -hmm. um, just my goodness, from the title alone, my father's insane survival story, and this is from Corey. Hello, Heather and Christy. I know this story is a little out of the norm for your usual Freaky Friday episodes, and also a little long, but I've heard you cover a few well-known survival stories on the show and thought you might be interested in learning about my dad's. 
On the morning of December 8, 1980, my mom was working her usual breakfast waitressing shift when her manager pulled her off the floor and said, you have a phone call. My mom went to pick it up, wondering why her manager looked so pale. On the other end of the line was my grandmother. Come home quick, she said. Your husband is missing. Some backstory. Almost all the men in my family are, or were, fishermen, my father included. My mother's family landed on Cape Cod with the Mayflower, and they've fished those waters ever since. My father's side came later, with the generation of Italians who fled Mussolini and fascist Italy. They were fishermen in the old country, and they decided to stick what they knew when they arrived on Cape Cod. My father's schedule meant that he spent Monday through Friday out at sea, hauling lobster traps and pulling nets. He came home on weekends to sell what he caught and spend time with the family. December 8th was a Monday. My mother had just said goodbye to my dad a few hours before the phone call. So how could he already be missing? I've only gotten my dad to tell me this story a couple of times, but between the newspaper articles, my mom's side of things, and what I can piece together, this is what happened. My dad, Stephen, and his intern crewmate, a 17-year-old high school junior named Robinson, had left their port in Harwich before the sun rose and headed out to sea, ready to fish for cod. It was a clear winter morning, and the ocean was as calm as it gets in that area. My father's boat was named after my mother. It was 35 feet long, made out of fiberglass, and only eight months old. About six miles east of Monomoy Island, about 20 miles from their home port, the stern of the boat, quote, dipped like a freight train sat on it. My dad yanked up the deck hatch to find out what the hell was going on only to see that the water was pouring into the boat so fast that it was already an inch below the deck, meaning it had already filled the entire belly of the boat. My dad yelled at his intern to grab the one survival suit they had on board while he tried to call for help. The problem was, by the time my dad got to the radio, it was almost underwater. Mayday! Mayday! He began, death gripping the microphone while the boat sank beneath him. He finished the call as calmly as he could, relaying the name of their ship and coordinates, not knowing if it went out, not knowing if anyone heard him, because by the time he was halfway through, the body of the radio was covered with seawater. He turned from it just in time to watch Robinson get swept off the deck, only halfway into the survival suit, but luckily clinging to a wooden fish box. My dad had enough time to grab a nearby flare before the boat went out from under him, and he was dumped into the Atlantic. The stern of the boat dropped, made a gradual roll to the side, and then disappeared beneath the surface. I just want to drive the point home that it was December. The ocean was 40 degrees, and my father was in jeans and a sweater. But it was okay, my dad told himself. There was another boat nearby somewhere. It had passed him not long before as it headed out into deeper waters. My dad grabbed onto the hatch cover when it bobbed to the surface and clung to it as he struck the flare. He held it up for as long as possible, with Robinson yelling and waving his hands to try and get the boat's attention. But the boat was too far away, and it was heading in the wrong direction. It didn't see them. Oh, and did I mention that it wasn't even 7 o'clock in the morning yet, and the sun hadn't risen? My dad and his high school intern were alone in the dark in the middle of the ocean, without knowing if their distress call went out, and my dad was already starting to shiver so bad that he nearly bit the tip of his tongue off. Instead of panicking or shitting themselves like I would have, Robinson and my dad managed to turn the fish box over, using it as a makeshift dinghy for one. 
They traded places, each taking a turn in the water while the other tried to bail out the fish box. Maybe 20 minutes passed while they did this, but they soon realized they were fighting a losing battle, and eventually the dinghy went down too. They were left with the hatch cover and what other debris they had gathered to cling to. And this is where it gets really crazy. My father's mayday call somehow made it out, even with the radio submerged. That's how my grandmother knew he was missing. Back then, everyone had CB radios, and Grandma spent her days glued to hers, listening to police reports so she knew ahead of time which one of her sons she'd have to bail out of jail next. Instead of one of her wayward offspring, Grandma heard the name of my dad's boat instead and that it was sinking. She ran to call my mom. Two search helicopters and a Coast Guard cutter were deployed to look for my dad and his crewmate, and so did another ship. The one my father had originally tried to signal got word of what happened and turned around to help look. It was the helicopters that found them, but by that time my father was dipping in and out of consciousness. He said the last thing he remembered was waving debris over his head as the helicopter passed right by them and kept on going. The Coast Guard crewman thought he was dead by the time they pulled him into the chopper. He'd been in the water for nearly an hour at that point, and his skin was visibly blue. But my dad, an eternal smartass, had enough life in him to mutter, hell of a way to start a Monday morning, before losing consciousness again. I'm not sure if this is still true, but back then, he was one of the record holders for the longest survival time in waters that cold, without a life or survival suit. And since I was born after this incident, I routinely blame him for the fact that I'm always freezing. My dad and Robinson were brought back to Cape Cod Air Station, treated for exposure, and eventually released. The next day, December 9th, was my father's 25th birthday. He celebrated still being alive for it by pulling a chair as close to our wood stove as was safe, wrapping himself in blankets and shivering while he drank as many black Russians as his stomach would hold. From what we know, it seems like there was an issue with the fiberglass bottom of the boat. My dad had fished on it all summer and it was fine, but once the temperature waters got cold enough, the fittings failed, and the entire bottom of the boat just popped off. Someone later put together a timeline of events during the insurance claim process and found that from the first dip of the boat to when it disappeared beneath the surface, barely three minutes had passed. My dad and his teenage interns survived thanks to quick thinking, ingenuity, a will to live, and perhaps a little bit of luck. Or it was a goddamn miracle. Whichever way you want to look at it is fine with my dad. It will come as a surprise to absolutely no one that he stopped fishing after that. My parents used the insurance money from the boat to move to Maine. The last I heard, Robinson was a garlic farmer. My dad has many crazy stories from his time as a fisherman, but this one by far is the wildest. And I thought you might appreciate it, since like I mentioned earlier, you've covered a few survival stories on the show and expressed such appreciation for the human ability to persevere even against overwhelming odds. I went ahead and attached pictures of the newspaper articles about the event that my mom saved, as well as one of the boat. I tried to find archived versions of them online, but to no avail, and it made me wonder how many other little-known stories there are like my dad's that have been lost to history and now only live on through family legend. Thank you so much to everyone who makes Sinisterhood happen, but especially to you, Heather and Christy, for keeping me company on a daily basis. I live in a rural, mountainous area of New Hampshire, 
hand-making bookmarks in our 200-year-old barn while I listen to you lovely women tell me sometimes horrible, sometimes bizarre, sometimes uplifting, but always entertaining stories thanks to your incredible personalities and senses of humor. P.S. If you're curious about the bookmarks, my Etsy shop is called Illiterates. P.P.S. A good rule of thumb for pronouncing Massachusetts town names is to drop all the R's in them and slur them like your shit face. Wasta! 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 What is Wasta? I'm sure it's Worcester, which is spelled like Worcester. There's R's and C's in there. (laughs) But we drop them all and just just say Worcester. Worcester. And alliterates is A-L-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-E-S. And that is Corey's Etsy shop. Please go check it out. And Corey, what a phenomenal and fascinating story. My goodness. I cannot believe three minutes and your dad was able to think and and 24 years old of almost 25 years old too yeah. i'm thinking it's a grizzled fisherman but no when you get down to it it's a 17 year old and a 24 year old surviving a less than three minute boat uh, three minute boat sinking and nobody around and thank god that he had the foresight to just holler it out on the radio you know grandma was like i listen to that radio every day <laughs> you're welcome she's <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> like see Everybody told me I was crazy because I'm glued to my <laughs> CB radio. But guess what? What a call to get on your just shift. You're just waiting tables. And it's like, come home. Your husband's missing. You're like, he's I sick. just said goodbye to him. What do you mean he's missing? Yeah, I would also agree. The whole family's like, hey, you're not fishing anymore. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> That's crazy that the boat just popped off. But I'm glad that it was nobody was injured. And that it sounds like the insurance paid that off because that is a definitely a manufacturer defect or a putting it together defect that somebody needs to pay for that so that's the lawyer in me always like whose fault is this though how eerie too that they're going about getting the boat ready and it's already happened they just don't know it yet yeah it's just like the sand is falling through mm-hmm. the hourglass and it, and man when you open that deck hatch and water is that high you're like oh we're fuck. fucked yeah yeah uh, being uh, stranded in the middle of the ocean in the dark is maybe my uh, biggest fear. So yeah. the fact that y'all, they were able to withstand that and just, yeah, such, I mean, they're babies to be able yeah. to do that. In jeans and a sweater. Gosh, yeah. Hypothermia sets in quick. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a miracle that that your dad survived that. And I'm so glad he did. And I bet he's got so many cool stories like this also we love hell of a way to start a monday oh, morning that's fun <laughs> so I, I feel classic. like that's something i would do i in oh, in yeah, the throes same. of labor i every now and then would just make some ridiculous <laughs> remark i remember uh one point i was like oh you're in the splash zone when it was things oh, no. were about to go down get both your ponchos the gallagher was, show started. yeah both times i said can you just go up there and get them I can feel them right there. Just and they're like, that's not how it works. We can't do we can't. that. <laughs> They've got to come we out on their own. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for sending that in and for letting us know how we need to pronounce uh, any cities in Massachusetts now. Worcester. <laughs> it's a wicked piss in Worcester. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Kelly and Emily. We have two sisters that have put a story together between the two of them, which we also don't see a lot of. So I love that. And it is called 
Where do you think we went when we lost an hour of time? Hello, I'm Kelly. If you happen to read this, I first want to say that I had never been able to commit to any podcast until I was recommended yours by a random Instagram acquaintance. I'm so thankful they recommended Sinisterhood. I honestly consider you both my friends, so thank you. Anyway, like you both are always talking about, listening to Freaky Friday and listener stories reminds others to think of their own stories. For a long time, I never really thought I had one I could submit. My sister Emily was with me during this, and she reviewed and verified the details in this account. She's agreed that you are free to use her name. I can't really remember what made me think of this encounter, but it recently came to me while trying to sleep in a twin bed at my parents' house, listening to you both on my AirPods, while my three-year-old was sleeping peacefully in a bed opposite of me. Okay, let's get into it. To set the story, I am the youngest of four kids, and like 30 first-generation grandchildren. I've always been a little odd, but never necessarily in a way where I had any weird encounters. I've also always been interested in the paranormal and aliens, but to be honest, I was really scared of the possibility of having my own experience. At the time of the encounter, I was truly feeling myself. I had just finished my 8th grade year. I'd been popping my double collars and felt so confident and ready to enter high school. Anyway, it was September of 2006. My older twin siblings, sister twin and brother, were both going to be freshmen at the Ohio State University. My eldest sister, Emily, is about three years older than the twins. My dad was hospitalized for a blood clot, so we made it a family affair where Emily, Mom, and myself helped move the twins into the same dorm hall on campus. Yes, they're cute and lived in the same dormitory. My mom drove our conversion van with sister twin, brother drove a U-Haul, and Emily, who was a senior in college and very cool, and I drove her car to Columbus with all of their freshman year belongings and furniture. Moving went without a hitch. By the time we'd eaten dinner and said our goodbyes, it was later in the evening. It was about 9 p.m. when we left OSU in Columbus, and it takes about 45 to 60 minutes to get back to our house in our hometown. Emily was, and still is, so cool. I loved cruising with her in her car. I was seriously on a high leaving campus, dreaming of the fun future college visits I would be able to take advantage of since my siblings were at uni pretty close. We left the dorm on OSU's campus at the same time as my mom, but Emily was driving behind her. It was dark, and we were driving and listening to the best tunes of 2006, which included Loosen Up My Buttons by the Pussycat Dolls. Because my mom didn't like driving the large van on the highway, we left the main highway and took the alternative route on the historical Route 40 the rest of the way into town. We passed familiar landmarks as we listened to the radio, seeing the taillights of the conversion van in front of us, as we traveled only one car distance behind her the whole way. We both can remember vividly entering the city limits of our hometown. This limit is still fairly far out from the actual city center and is pretty wooded. Route 40 splits at this exact section, meaning there was a separation of trees. Think of a large boulevard between the east and west traffic of Route 40. I can remember veering to the right of the split, with the wooded separation to my left and woods of the country to the right. I vividly remember seeing the city limit sign for our town out of the window on my right, with my mom still directly in front of us. I took note that it was just shy of 10 p.m., but we can't remember the exact time. At this point, things go blurry and black. 
There is literally absolutely nothing I can remember or grasp until after I came to. At that moment, I realize that I am again looking at the same city limit sign in passing, the same one we had just traveled by. At this point, I'm fucking confused. I'm also feeling really groggy and tired. I remember thinking that it was so weird, thinking to myself, I really could have sworn that we already passed this sign. Time after time was playing on the radio quietly. Seriously, I am not making this detail up. Uneasy, I took a look at the clock. It was then I read the time. I realized that it was 10.46 p.m. I was taken aback, quite literally clutching invisible pearls hand to chest. It was so hard for me to believe. We had left Columbus at 9. We were just here before 10. How is it almost 11? Why were we further back than before? As I was sitting in the front seat, I looked to my left at my sister. She seemed just as groggy and confused as me. She was looking at the time on the front of her flip phone while trying to stay on the road. Then she looked over at me. Once we made eye contact, we automatically knew that we were both incredibly confused, disoriented, and scared. But neither of us said a word. She took out her flip phone and called my parents' house. My mom answered, Where are you two? Emily wasn't sure how to answer. We're almost home. Because both of us were not exactly known for being the most honest and well-behaved kids, we both didn't know how to reply to our mom's questioning. You were right behind me. Why did you lose me? Is Kelly okay? Bring her home now, Emily. It's too late for her to be out. My sister quietly replied, Okay, we'll be there soon. Mom was so fucking mad at her. She slapped her phone shut and we both looked at each other terrified. We both knew we were right behind our mom and that we didn't go anywhere. Did we pass the city limit sign twice? I questioned quietly. Yeah, Kelly, we did. We passed it twice, she replied solemnly. The next day we talked about it, confirming that neither of us had made this up in our head. Neither of us remember anything in that time lost. All we know is that our car passed the same point twice on the same highway, but the second time we passed it, it was almost an hour later, with no recollection of what went down. We knew our mom was directly in front of us, but she arrived home well before us. We felt incredibly weird and uneasy, although it's hard for me to put into words and describe the feeling. I felt like I was spinning and sinking at the same time. After I came to, I wouldn't say I felt alcohol drunk, but more of a Benadryl grogginess. My eyes were heavy. In Emily's words, she described herself feeling a hazy grogginess for sure, almost like coming out of twilight from having your wisdom teeth removed. It still freaks me out so much. All we both know for sure, even over 15 years later, is that we are 100% positive this happened and we both do not remember anything else besides what I've written here. Where did we go? We don't know. What happened? Who the hell knows? I have no fucking clue. Neither of us noticed any physical differences after, and neither of us can remember anything other than passing that sign and mile marker twice. We didn't talk about it until about two months ago, when I told her I wanted to submit it for Freaky Friday. I think we'd both tried to forget. Whenever I try to think about it now, I get an overwhelming feeling of uneasiness and dread. Emily wanted to mention that we both have an RH negative blood type, and she feels the phenomena was extraterrestrial. I'm inclined to agree, but honestly, I have no fucking idea. 
I think that maybe I don't want to remember the almost hour my oldest sister and I lost on that drive home. Maybe it's for the best. What do you two think? If you made it this far, thank you. I love you both, and thank you for creating this podcast. XOXOXO, Kelly. That is an eerie time jump, and it's what people describe on TikTok and stuff is like a glitch in the matrix, right? Where you're like, something was happening, and it's like, and then you you like wake up, and it was something else. But then we get down to the alien blood, the RH negative. So remind me, I know we've talked about this before, and doesn't your sister have alien blood? She does. <laughs> so why... Oh, it's, is it the universal one? So therefore, aliens are more likely to want those humans? No, apparently the vast majority of humankind, 85 to 90 percent, is RH positive. So that means your red blood cells contain an antigen directly connected to the rhesus monkey. This antigen is known as the RH factor. Each and every primate on the planet has this antigen except for one, the remaining 10 to 15 percent of humans with RH negative blood. If the theory of evolution is valid, that each and every one of us is descended from ancient primates, shouldn't we all be RH positive? Yes, we should, but we're not. The negatives are unlike the rest of us. They are unique individuals whose bloodline may have nothing less than extraterrestrial origins. The theory is that a this 10 to 15% of the population are from a alien extraterrestrial species that came to... Uh, the planet, I don't know, 13,000 years ago when there was a giant flood and then that's when the moon cre- was created. Mm-hmm. And your uh, sister, for, those are her homies. Well, she's always been... Uh, I relate heavily, Kelly, to your description of Emily because that's how I feel. Well, my sister, she's always been the absolute fucking coolest person. So it makes sense that super awesome, cool people have that. To be fair, I read this from a book called Bloodline of the Gods. <laughs> Okay. Unravel the mystery in the human blood type to reveal the aliens among us. So take it what you will from that. But that's the idea well, is that there's... You know what? Sometimes there's a little bit of truth in there somewhere. Who knows? But it's very strange. If it had just been Kelly, I'd say, okay, well, you probably fell asleep, fell asleep or something, you know, or just zoned out, which we've all done. But two people feeling the same thing noticing the same thing having the same symptoms that makes it more of a credible story no i agree because it, it exactly when you first read it if you said the log line of oh uh you know someone fell asleep while someone else was driving and then they woke up and the time was different than they expected but the person driving yeah and especially as close as you all were to your mom and the fact that your mom was like you were right behind me and then you weren't that's I don't know that it's out of the realm of possibility to say is it a some sort of extraterrestrial event or you know quantum physical event that we can't explain. I agree. I, love it. I think I love both it. of those are possibilities. There's a lot of shit we don't know, and who am I to say that either of those couldn't have happened? Right. What happened to you happened to you, and you know it. So. That's uh, let us know if anything else happens or if you've had any other uh, encounters mm-hmm. or anything extraterrestrial with your RH negative blood. Or if you also, dear listeners, have RH negative blood and you've had something happen, maybe we're on to something here. I don't think I do. I think they tell you when you're pregnant yeah, because you have if, to do something special. Yeah, if like you do, I think it's there's something because like. You have to get a, sh- a special kind of shot if you do or you don't and all this. Something and like I that. I didn't have to get it. So I think 
that I don't. Unfortunately, I kind of wish that I was in that group, but that's okay. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, my sister has it, but I don't. Rude. Yeah. Also, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Oh, well, I don't. She's Somewhere. the chosen one and I'm not. Yeah, something happened. <laughs> she, uh, she's chosen. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Nell, and the subject line is Connecticut Sky Trumpets. When I tell people I live in East Haddam, even people who have grown up in Connecticut look at me quizzically, and I have to explain the obvious. It's an incredibly small town. While East Haddam has a tiny population of 8,875 people, we've had our fair share of time in the spotlight. In Season 1, Episode 2 of Gilmore Girls, Rory and Lorelai drive past the Gelston House and the famed Goodspeed Opera House of East Haddam. Despite this, East Haddam is rarely spoken about. In my opinion, that is on purpose. East Haddam is not unknown to the strange. In Connecticut, a state many have dubbed the paranormal capital of the United States, thanks Ed and Lorraine Warren, who put all that paranormal shit in Milford, it is not surprising to hear of all of our horrors. From the haunted community of Johnsonville to the park called Devil's Hop Yard, where allegedly the occult summoned Satan, East Haddam is bathed in the paranormal. I've been to both of these haunted grounds, but nothing is scarier than the forest. East Haddam is dense with forest. The woods are as thick as stew. Think Blair Witch or The Ritual. I could walk into my backyard right now, 20 feet into the woods, and scream. No one would hear me. The woods separate its people, making each house feel lonely and small. In a bid to seek humanity, East Haddam is cut up into various communities and villages. One of these villages within East Haddam is Moodis, and the focus of my story. Moodis is home to a 300-acre state park. The area, previously infamous to the Pequot and Wangunk Native Americans that lived in Connecticut, is called Macamudis, or the place of bad noises in the native language. These noises resemble what some have likened to gunshots or thunder that shook houses and rattled windows. Others say it's like a, quote, roaring from the sky, and some have described it as voices. I liken it to wailing trumpets, deep in the woods of Macamudis. Now, before Heather gets too excited, there is, allegedly, a scientific explanation for some of these noises. Earthquakes. Tiny earthquakes that create these shuddering noises— but that cannot be the explanation for it all. I cannot correlate what I've heard to earthquakes. It just does not make sense. Standing beneath the trees, I have heard a deep bellow. It's not like anything I've ever heard. It was as if the clouds parted and a distant horn blared from above my head. And the whales? I have heard inhuman screams in the broad daylight that felt as if they were feet in front of me. I could never find a source. But if you're a New Englander like me, who's grown up in the forest and the anomalies of the world, you just continue walking and pretend you've heard nothing at all. The only indication that you have heard anything at all is that your door is locked extra tight that night. I don't like any of this. The trumpets have sounded. Mm. It, even if it is earthquakes, it's terrifying. And earthquakes are scary, too. Yeah, you don't want the ra ground rumbling underneath mm -hmm. you. But yeah, I agree with Nell that if you if it is earthquakes, and I'm sure that is some of them, it would, I would assume, sound like it was coming more below you versus the sky opening up and hearing a trumpet sound or wailing and screaming of an inhuman nature. Yeah, like the 
bowels of hell have opened. Well, when we did our Sky Trumpets episode, one of the things we talked about is that scientists think it's just the Earth's natural noise that we often Mm -hmm. don't hear because we have our own noise pollution. If you're out in the woods in a quieter area where things are quieter, I think you can hear a lot more. That's a good point. Yeah, if it's is that isolated and quiet, you might be hearing the creaks and the cranks. It's like a house when all the, you know, if you turn off the electronic mm-hmm. devices, the television, you don't have your phone on and you're just sitting there, you start to hear the cr- the clicks and the creaks mm-hmm. and the squeaks. So it's like that, but Earth is just our giant home. I want to go to a place where I can hear the Earth sounds. We're, we should- I'm far enough away from noise pollution that you can just really sit and listen and see if you hear some stuff. Yeah, I wonder if we would hear the trumpets. Mm, maybe. The trumpets sounding. Well, we'll have to come to East Haddam and visit Nell and see what all these trumpets are about. Let's do it. This next one is from Jessica, and the subject line is Security Ghost Puppy. Hello to the Sinisterhood family. I'm a new listener and just got done listening to the Hat Man episode where you talk a lot about the dreams and the issues that can happen, which is the main reason I send this. When I was a child, like so many, I loved watching the awful 80s horror movies as soon as they came out. I started watching these movies at probably a really young age, which was not the best decision my parents made, but in the 80s, what parents stopped you? My favorite movies were the Nightmare on Elm Street series, but these movies eventually led to the night terrors I would experience during my teenage years. As I grew in age, I learned how to cope and what would help me decrease my anxiety so I would not experience as many. I even went to college for psychology to learn more about how development and dreams intertwined. Fast forward to the birth of my one and only child. Everything was going well in her infancy until I started to experience the anxiety and postpartum of motherhood. I began to have major night terrors when she turned about three months. They became so bad that I would wake up screaming and in turn wake everyone else up. My husband is a veteran with PTSD, and even he said they were causing him sleep deprivation, and he had been to war three times. With every night terror, I would see a giant dark figure either standing at my child's bassinet or crawling into the window to my child's cradle. They were so bad, I had both of these items in my bedroom for fear I couldn't get to my daughter fast enough. On this one particular night, the night terror was of the window incident, even though the window was not open. I began to scream and jumped up and proceeded to yell toward my husband, He's trying to get the baby! He's, tr- he's breaking into the house! My husband said all he heard was gabble, gabble, blah, 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 and stated, I wasn't making any sense. He finally said, Jesse, where is Bear? Bear is our great big black lab who had never left my side and was sleeping on the floor next to the bed. I had even woken him up because I stepped on him. We discussed how protective Bear had been of me in my pregnant belly and now of my daughter as she grew bigger. My husband made me realize that Bear would alert us if anyone came into the house because he would sense them way before me. For whatever reason, that really helped and my night terrors altogether stopped. As my daughter grew, Bear followed her around, even sleeping in her room at the end of her bed. Even though I did not let my daughter watch scary movies, she began to have night terrors at six. I explained to her the same information that Bear was there and he would never allow anyone to hurt her. That information really helped her as well. Shortly after my daughter turned nine, my sweet puppy Bear passed away. The death was super hard on everyone in the family, including my husband, 
who I never saw cry, just break down and sob. The loss of Bear was felt throughout the house, and even though we had another dog, it was not the same. My daughter began having night terrors again not very long after that, and we even talked about how Bear made us feel comforted in those scary moments. Not long after we talked about that, I woke up one night, and there he was. He was shaking his head at me, which was what he did when he wanted to wake me up. I was so happy to see his face that I was like, Bear! I started to cry, and I tapped my husband and said, Honey, look, Bear is here! I was so happy to see him that my brain didn't bother to tell me that it was not real. My husband startled awake and sat up. I said again, Bear is here! He turned on the light, and he was gone. I got up and went looking for him because, once again, my brain didn't bother to say that I may have been dreaming. I started to cry, but I felt that comforting feeling that Bear brought to me. My husband said he had returned to tell me that he was still here and not to worry about my scary dreams. The next day, I had mentioned that to my daughter, who very calmly said, That's weird, because Bear was sleeping with me on my bed last night. She looked at me and said, I woke up from a nightmare and he was there at the end of my bed. It felt nice to see him again, and I went back to sleep. I miss that dog so very much, but since that night, I've not had any night terrors. I know that even though he didn't have to, he stayed with his family to protect us. Love you guys a lot from the state of Michigan, Jesse. Sweet bear. Oh, just the name bear for a big old black lab. Labs are so sweet. My sister had a big old black lab named Flex, who was oh, the sweetest. Flex. And just some dogs I feel like, and Flex was one of these dogs where you look in their eyes and I'm like, there's something going on here that's like more it's more than just a dog mm-hmm. you love any looking into any dog's face i'm a, I love a dog they're sweet they're kind they love you but sometimes you look at a dog and i'm like is there a person in there trapped <laughs> and flex used to whine a lot and i was like he's probably whining because he's a person and he's like i got something to say mm-hmm. to you guys and i can't say it because i hear you but it, that strikes me as that of like a dog that's so cognizant and aware and be like oh i'm here to i got your back i'm here to take care of you i'm like this ain't your first go round, mm-hmm. soul and dogs too can they know a lot when you're pregnant and stuff and they're more protective and and it's so that's so sweet night terrors are no joke i've you and tommy know for about Mm -hmm. two weeks now i have been just having the worst dreams every night it's exhausting they're all stress dreams just insane nightmares to the point where Heather was like, you should write a book and sell this. I was like, this is an intricate and horrifying world that like Stephen King would come up with, but it was just your brain while you were asleep. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's I'm exhausting. always tired because even when I sleep, like you said, it's like it's a ripoff of sleep because you're sleeping, <laughs> but you're not really. You were up running around. Yeah. You said you were had fighting vampires and flying through demons. the air. I was having to protect the kids. It was a whole thing. It was but- it was rough. <laughs> Well, I think uh, now if you're going to lucid dream, instead of saying bear is here, you just got to say pedal is here. And if whatever happens in your dream, she's just going to come through like a superhero. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> She'll take him out. She'll take them all out. Well, sweet, sweet bear. I'm glad that, that he's there still watching out for y'all, Jesse. Yes. Thank you for sending that in. Sinisterhood will be right back. This last story is from Allie. <laughs> okay, I wanted to, we started it off and it was a very emotional discussion. So I felt like we needed to end things on another emotional discussion of a different nature. A different type of emotion. This is why you are and remain our stories sommelier. <laughs> well, thank you. 
The subject line is more storage stories. Hello again from the Pacific Northwest. I was so excited when I looked at the show notes for last week's Freaky Friday and saw the subject line of my story that I audibly gasped and startled my dog. As requested, here are some more storage stories. Some somewhat relevant background info. My partner immigrated to the U.S. from the U.K. in 2010 to be with his now ex-wife. I met him on Tinder in 2020. His profile said, Terry Pratchett fan, and mine said, ask me about my Good Omens fan fiction. And I moved in with him just over a year later. I have two kids from a previous relationship, a 10-year-old boy who is high support autistic and a 5-year-old girl who is a little sassy pants. With that out of the way, let's get into it. For the most part, managing a storage facility is just like managing any other kind of business. There's paperwork to file, certified letters to mail out, landscaping to keep tidy, repairs, occasional pests, bank deposits, cash drawer audits, inventory counts, and of course, customers to serve. Since the employees consist of just my partner and his boss who works the office one day a week, my partner has, over his seven years at the business, slowly become responsible for 90% of it. He does a lot of work outside of business hours, and since our housing is completely dependent on his employment, he's often really stressed. Despite it all, he says the hardest part of his job is unit clearing, but not for the reasons you might think. When a unit doesn't get sold in auction for one reason or another, he has to clear it out. This means taking everything out to donate what he can to charity, trashing everything else, and shredding anything with personal information. Tenants have several months and multiple chances to keep this from happening and can very often work with the business to pay off their rent to get their possessions back. But still, people fall on hard times and don't communicate, which leaves my boyfriend to sort through their lives. It breaks his heart sometimes. He's always been a really thoughtful, sensitive person, so much so that his parents thought he'd grow up to be a vicar, but that's just business. One of the first questions I had about his job when we started dating was if he ever found a dead body in a storage unit, because I'm a weirdo, and fortunately he is not. But more often than not, he finds porn. Why someone would put their porno mags in storage is a mystery, but such was the time he found the cursed magazine. He was clearing a unit, going through boxes of books and papers, when he found it, the worst possible genre you can think of clown porn. We're not the kind of people to yuck anyone's yum, but I think we can all agree that the idea of clown porn is disturbing. That's what he thought, but also thought it was hilarious. So even though he's not technically allowed, he saved it to laugh about with his then wife. He stashed it in his closet and promptly forgot about it. Months later, he was looking for something unrelated and found the cursed magazine again. By this time, any ounce of novelty had worn off, and he just decided to get rid of it. But how? Being the anxious little man he is, he didn't want to just throw it in the trash in case someone found it and thought he was a sicko. So he decided to burn it. He put the thing in his backyard fire pit and went to light it. The damn thing would not burn. Something about how the paper was treated prevented it from burning. The edge is singed, but that's it. So he decided he would have to shred it but he couldn't just shred it and leave it in the shredder because he didn't want his boss asking questions. He tucked the magazine in the shed to wait for the day that the shredder was nearly full so he could dispose of it right after. When the day arrived, he carefully put the cursed magazine through a few pages at a time and was nearly done when the shredder jammed. 
He panicked, thinking he was going to have to take it to get it repaired and explain why he had this thing, but he managed to clear the jam. A staple was stuck in it. He took the whole bag out to the recycling bin, and that was the end of it, although his boss asked why the shredder smelled like burnt paper. Other finds include an eagle feather, which are illegal to possess, but he thought it would be disrespectful to just throw it away. So, after trying to contact the Swinomish tribe, he remembered one of his other tenants is a member of the Cree Nation out of Canada. He got in contact with them and gave them the feather to use in spiritual practices. Another time, a tenant found a switchblade knife just lying on the ground and brought it to the office. Being English, my boyfriend isn't completely at home with any weapons, let alone something like that. When he told me this, I was hoping he would follow it up with, and I know that your punk as fucking would probably like it, so here you go. But, alas, I was not the new owner of a cool-as-hell switchblade knife because he did the right thing and turned it into the police. Over the years in his job, he's made some really positive connections with people. There's a lady from the Philippines who brings him homemade ponset and lumpia on occasion. Another tenant has a child with special needs like my son and has helped us find resources for him and gives us sensory equipment when she doesn't need it anymore. So, that's life in storage. It's hard work that comes with its own mixture of rewards and strangeness, but overall my partner likes it and says he has a pretty cushy gig compared to other storage managers he's spoken to. I'm so lucky to have him in my life, and I'm amazed every day that someone like him can love someone like me who's basically just three goblins in a trench coat. He's a hard worker, a dutiful partner, and is learning how to be an amazing bonus dad to my kids. I'm completely in love with him. Thank you for giving me and everyone a chance to share our stories, even ones as mundane as this. I love listening to such incredible people who strive to cultivate such a safe, accepting community. Thank you for being the helpers this world needs. <clears throat> mundane. Mundane. Clown porn. <laughs> I have thought too much about what this looked like. I'm guessing I, full makeup, wigs, probably some big floppy shoes. From what I understand, and I think that we looked into it because of some Patreon bonus content regarding dressing up as a clown or some making out with a clown. There is a genre of pornography. I mean, enough to produce magazines, but it has something to do with their in clown makeup and one person and like and their partner isn't in clown makeup and like the smudging of I like remember that. Yeah. Face makeup and stuff. Somebody was cheating on somebody with like the birthday clown. That's I think was right. Oh yeah. She went into the, um, like the bedroom during her son's party. And then he honked and the horn, if you know what I mean. He the clown. And then I think the husband found out because there was makeup all over her shirt. Can't be bedding down the clown. Uh, I just love that he's like, oh, just don't, don't, don't worry. I'll shred it. I'll, oh, no. Oh, I love burn the thoughtfulness of your boyfriend. One, like, I would feel the same way. Having to go through people's personal things and just, you know, they become not just a person renting a unit anymore you see like into their lives the thoughtfulness with the eagle feather and then also the anxiety i feel it's strong and like i can't just throw this magazine in the trash so the weeks long production of trying to get rid of this uh it's definitely not mundane i feel like these are the types of stories that people want to hear about there's a whole show called storage wars because people want to know what's going on in there 
Right, and those people are just bidding on them and auctioning them, not actually sifting through them and kind of seeing. And I, I think it's delightfully respectful to say, okay, this has personal information. It's an old tax return or whatever. You know, shredding stuff so people's identities aren't getting That's stolen. That's a lot so, of work, too, yeah. So much work. And Allie sent pictures of the storage, the you know, the big building, as well as a pic of them and their partner, and they're very cute. Aww. You are not a goblin in trench coats. <laughs> but that description <laughs> is very funny. So I think, though, that a small storage facility like this, where it's, you know, one guy kind of running it and you're not just there to oversee it, but obviously it made these great connections and are friends with a lot of the tenants. I love a story like that. It's like Shit's Creek. Yeah, it's that's a community. When I was explaining my hometown to that guy I volunteer with, he's like, yeah, you're describing a community and communities are beautiful. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, we are. That's what this is. It's a community mm-hmm. and they're beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Allie, for keeping us updated on the non-mundane stories of life in the storage industry. And thank you to everybody that sent in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at Sinisterhood.com slash Freaky Friday. What else, Heather, can they find at Sinisterhood.com slash live shows? You can find a list of all of the current tickets that are on sale. And starting the first week of April, you'll be able to find links to the rest of the tickets that are on sale. So far, we have dates uh, all the way throughout August. Folks have asked a couple questions about the show. What's it like? Is it like it was before? It's a totally different show, totally different format, totally different post-show experience. Rather than a one-to-one meet and greet where we can just take a quick pick, we're going to hang out for 45 minutes and do one of our Q&As with you all, share photos, videos, stories, answer whatever questions. And the whole show, it's pretty much the same. Well, I say the same, but we keep making changes. It's the same show that we're traveling, but of course it's going to change just by virtue of our improvisation, the things we experience in the city. So you will uh, see an interesting, cohesive show all centered around the moon and lunar things. We don't right now have any plans of doing a moment this year with it or anything like that. Some folks have said, oh, well, maybe I'll wait till there's a virtual one. We might try to do a moment, but likely it would not be this show. This is the kind of our touring show to do live. Mm-hmm. So if we're coming near you, uh, come out and see us live. And you can do that by going to Sinisterhood.com slash live shows. Be sure if you would like to get into the VIP. They've sold out pretty much at every venue except one or two. There's like two or three tickets left. So since the VIP sold out, if you want to do that and hang out with us after the show, make sure you join our Patreon so you get first dibs on tickets because we'll post all the links on Patreon first to give our patrons uh, first dibs for 24 hours before they go on general sale. So Sinisterhood.com slash live shows. Come hang out with us. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. 
As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like first dibs on tickets, ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons in the Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month that they would like to see live-streamed. If you're listening to this today, March 31st, and it's before 2 p.m. Central, you can catch our live stream uh, today at that time where we're going to be doing Am I the Asshole Live. But if it's after that, no worries because replays for the streams are always available immediately after the event. And the next day we will post uh, the audio-only version. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. We love a, a Friday afternoon live stream. They're always a hoot. Mm-hmm. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. And my goodness, if you joined us for last night's Q&A, boy, did you get a show. Yeah, if you want to see us, it was uh, it was quite a time. We tried the ranch dressing oh ice cream. Oh, my God. Oh, my you God. Can, you can see a clip on our YouTube, uh, a very brief clip, but for the full thing, uh, including, uh, I couldn't stop myself. So <laughs> it goes on beyond the clip you see on YouTube, as well as we had a lot of good questions. We talked about a lot of things. Oh, yeah. that we had new questions we hadn't laughs. had before. Oh, man, we we got tickled. So, yeah, go to if you go to Patreon, you can watch it on demand replay and the audio only version is also available for patrons. Not in our U for patrons, not in the U.S. You have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com. Click on shop on the top banner. We've also had questions of whether the tour shirt, which we have specially made for our full moon energy tour, is available online. As of now, it's not. At the end of the tour, if we have some left over, there might be some available, but sizes and quantities will be limited. So right now, the best, pretty much only way to get it is at the show. Mm-hmm. You can support the show fast, easy, and at no cost to you by rating, reviewing, and following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Speaking of reviews, you can easily leave one by going to SinisterHood.com slash reviews. Yours may even be featured on our social media. Have a friend who you think would like us? You can easily share any episode with them by clicking the three dots in the top right corner. You can also share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting SinisterHood.com slash playlist. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterHoodPod. Like us on Facebook at SinisterHood. You can check us out on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. And for all of your personalized video messages, go to Cameo.com slash SinisterHood. You can send a Cameo. We could say happy birthday, happy anniversary, I love you, whatever you want. There's a little message box and we can deliver a customized personal video shout out to anyone you love. So Cameo.com slash SinisterHood. Also, I just got to give a big shout out to Tommy and Heather. If y'all aren't following YouTube and TikTok, go do it. They're crushing, getting everything up there. And Heather's been making some great vids. I call Thank them you. vids because I'm cool. Uh, and they're they're very fun. So um, 
you know, go go follow us everywhere. You'll never I miss anything then. I don't like to toot my own horn, but Cocaine Pig, I thought was pretty good. Cocaine Pig's great. The Way Down Yonder uh, uh, flyer. <laughs> we got to get that movie in the works. So. I'm learning more t- little tricks on Adobe Premiere. So with each video, I feel like I learned something. New. So great. yeah, they're on YouTube at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? Twitter at MCK versus the world. TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sin